All right, well, uh, we've been talking about the sovereignty of God the last few weeks. We're going to look more this week on the Christmas story. And we're going to look at it from a, maybe a different perspective than maybe you've thought about before. You know, it's said, and there's songs that say it's the most wonderful time of the year. And I think I heard it in the, in the mall yesterday walking through. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And, you know, I believe it is, and I love hearing the songs on there and the gifts and everything that it represents. But it's also, for many people, a very difficult time of the year. Um, some people have lost loved ones, even on Christmas Day. Some have lost loved ones the week of Christmas or around Christmas. Some have gone through really difficult things, and they miss them. And for others, they've had family feuds and fights. And so where we have, you know, families over for meals and things like that, some other people, they don't have a place to go to for Christmas. They're eating their Christmas meal by themselves, and they have a tree with no presents under it or maybe not a tree at all. And so for some people, when they hear it's the most wonderful time of the year, the song, it's a trigger for them like, bah humbug, you know, like, or whatever, like, not, not for me, not for me, and you probably know people like that, but even though it, it, it is hard for them, I still believe it is the most wonderful time of the year, but it's just really difficult for those people in that time, so we need to be sensitive of that, but we're going to look at, the reason why I believe it's still the best time of the year is because it represents the birth of Jesus and the greatest gift ever given. So no matter what we've lost, even though loss is not fun, no matter when it happens, any time of the year, it doesn't. It's it's painful. It's hard, but because Jesus gave His life, we have now been forever changed. It's the greatest gift we could ever receive. Amen. So we're going to talk about this some this morning. Uh, the pain of Christmas, the pain of Christmas. You know, when you go through and read the Bible, they you know there's there's a lot of scholars prophesied the coming. Um, not scholars, excuse me. A lot of prophets prophesied about the coming Messiah in the Old Testament. And scholars said, some scholars say there's 456 verses that talk about the coming of Messiah. Another scholar said there's 574, whatever the number is. There's a lot of verses in the Old Testament that are prophesying a future Messiah coming. But in the New Testament, when actually Jesus is born and everything happens there, there's about 50 verses that talk about Jesus and Christmas and his birth and all that kind of stuff. And it gives a lot of facts and a lot of information but it also leaves a lot of questions. There's a lot of things that it just doesn't talk about. And you think with those 500-some verses, they'd give us a little more detail about some of these things, but it doesn't. That's part of the mystery of Christmas. And I, I make this as a half-hearted joke. You have to think about that the, uh, it's only written in Matthew and, and Luke, and they're both men, right? And so men uh, don't really talk a lot about their emotions, some of them. And so there's not a lot of emotion of what was going on in, in, in Matthew and Luke. There's not a lot of the pain. There's not a lot of the messiness of what's going on. We read, you know, Matthew and Luke and these first parts of these stories. We think these just happened like day, one day after another after another. This just happened. But some of this have happened over long periods of time, over months, years, and things like that. And, and some of this stuff has been, was very difficult for Joseph and Mary to walk through. Yeah, they had the honor to be considered the, the ones who raised Jesus, which would be a, a great honor. But that family suffered tremendously for that honor. And we're going to look at some of that today because, uh, you know, when we're going through these seasons where it's, it's you know, it, it's Christmas, a time to celebrate, and others are suffering, we have to remember that Jesus suffered for us too. And also, Mary and Joseph, who went through this, they can relate. They went through a very difficult time. So we're going to look at today some of the messiness of Christmas that we sometimes just skim over reading the Bible. I didn't, uh, Nathan asked me what I wanted to call this sermon and I said, I don't know, I was thinking about the messiness of Christmas, but I didn't know if anyone would listen to it online. So I said, I don't know, you, you come up with something. <laughs> but anyway, possibly by the time I'm done today, those that you have struggled around this time of the year can relate and be comforted 
what they went through. And also others that don't struggle as much, may you just appreciate all that we've been given and all someone else's sacrifice to do so we could enjoy this season. So we're going to look at um, Matthew and Luke, parts of that, and look at some of these verses, just talk about this story. We'll start with Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. So, okay, right here is problem number one. So after Mary was betrothed uh, to Joseph, but before they came together, I mean, before they had relations together, you can figure what that meant. She was found to be pregnant. Um, uh-oh. Uh, that's a problem, especially in those days, in that, in that custom. Uh, they, this is not how a young couple or whatever age they really were, it's debated. I've heard anything that Joseph could have been 18, 50, 54, and Mary could have been 13 to 30-something, and nobody knows. It's, but whatever age they were, it's not a way you want to start out this, this, newly, this new marriage. So it says Mary was betrothed to Joseph. This is similar to, similar to our engagements today, but in some ways it's quite different. Um, in our culture today, they could, you know, a, a couple could get engaged and they could break it off and they just be saying something like, whew, dodged a bullet there. You know, that was a close one. Glad that didn't go through. But back in, <laughs> but back in their culture, that, it wasn't quite that easy, you know. Um, in their, in the, when they were betrothed, they were legally married. And they would legally have to actually go and have a divorce to be separated after they were betrothed. And anyone who violated, it says in Deuteronomy 22, it talks about anyone who, who violates a betrothed virgin is subject to be stoned to death because he violated his neighbor's wife. So even though they were legally married, they weren't culturally married. Uh, they had to go through a second ceremony, kind of like in, they do this in Uganda. They have the, where they have the bride price, and they have this um, dowry that they have to bring to the father, and then, then they have to have a second ceremony, but they're not supposed to come together until after that second ceremony. So the, and let me tell you a little bit about betrothal. The word betrothal means, uh, in, means taking possession of in a manner similar to or receiving a tribute. So it wasn't the most flattering word probably for the female, uh, you know, taking possession of, like, like a tribute. But during the patrol period, the prospective groom was exempt from military service. So if some war broke out, he's, I'm betrothed right now. He wouldn't have to serve. And also, he was regarded as a son-in-law at the very time of the betrothal. Like, we would wait till after the wedding day, after the ceremony and everything. Then he'd start calling him his son or Bob or whatever you want to call him. It depends on if you like him or not or whatever. <laughs> he, but he's now the son-in-law. So verse 19 um, Verse 119 says this, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to put, make her a public example, was minded to put her away. So notice this verse calls Joseph her husband and not her fiancé. They were considered legally married. And it says that he had a mind to put her away secretly, which means he had in his mind, like, I'm gonna, not going to shame her because I really love this girl, but somehow or another I'm divorcing this chick. I'm leaving her. She's, she's gone. And that's what he was thinking about. So, again, once they were legally betrothed, they had to be legally divorced if they were going to do that. Now, this is a big deal in their culture. Betrothal wasn't just walk up, hey, you want to get hitched? Like today, like the whole marriage thing has been so, the holiness of marriage has been so belittled by Hollywood and different things that people are just going on a date to Las Vegas and they get hitched in this, this place where they pay this so-called preacher to throw a couple of scriptures together or something to pronounce them man and wife or whatever. That is not the heart of God for marriage. Amen. It's till death do you part. That's God's heart. I know this doesn't always happen, but that is still God's heart for marriage. So 
I'm going to show you from culture, you know, a lot of the cultural things isn't included in this story because the Jews would have known the cultural stuff. So I'm going to share some of the culture of what it actually mean, what they had to go through for a betrothal to happen. So the groom would approach the father to be, of the bride to be, and make his attentions known to him. The father would ask questions about the family, his upbringing, where he was going to live, how he's going to provide for his daughter. Pretty much the same thing I went through with, <laughs> went through, the same thing I did with talking to Holly's dad, and he probably went through, very similar. But once the father was satisfied with all the groom's questions and answers, and he would, uh, they would establish a marriage covenant or hash out a contract of terms by negotiating the bride price. Okay? Five cows, ten cows, whatever it is, they're going to work it out. But that was part of their culture. And we can see this in Genesis. It says, make the bride price, this is Genesis 34, 12. Make the bride price for the bride and the gift I am to bring as great as you like, and I'll pay whatever you ask me. Only give me the young woman as my wife. So the bride price and this tradition has been around for a very long time. So once the father and the groom had agreed on the terms, the father would go to the other room where his daughter was waiting for her, waiting to speak with her. And the father, uh, the father would tell the daughter that they had agreed on the bride price, that his blessing was on this marriage, and they now established a covenant, and that um, he was going to bless this marriage. The bride-to-be in the other room was getting this meal ready to cook for her groom and also for the whole family. And they're cooking this meal, and the, the father would stay in there with his daughter until the meal was totally ready, and the groom-to-be was in the other room waiting, not knowing, like, is she insulted by the bride price? Is she flattered by that? Is she offended? Does she love me? Is she going to go through this or not? And uh, once the meal was prepared, the, groom would, the, the father would go in to, to talk to the groom and say, all right, you can come in now. And the father would go in, and the, the groom would go to the outside door and knock on that door. And it was up to her if she was going to let him in or not. So the women did still have some power in this, which is good to see. But she, if she sat there and didn't open the door, uh, that meant they were, she was not going to go through with the ceremony. But if she went up and opened the door and let him in, then they would go through with the ceremony, and they'd come in and have this meal together. So after the meal, the groom would serve his bride to be wine. And once she drank that wine, they were legally married. And I think that's just awesome, thinking of what's behind me right now, that once we drank the wine of God's presence, the wine of his forgiveness and mercy and everything, we are now his bride. We're now, not, not when we die and go to heaven, but right now, amen. So they were legally married, and they literally have to go to a court system of some kind to get a divorce after the, the wine had been drinking. So... The groom would then give her gifts, to give her gifts of like clothing or jewelry, maybe a necklace or a ring or something like that. And um, they would uh, they do this exchange of gifts. And this was a way to remind her that I'm coming back for you. Because at that time, he would leave and go to his father's property, his father's hometown. And he'd build an, either build an addition onto his father's home or he'd build a, another house somewhere on his father's property. And this could take anywhere from 18 months to two years. And that's where you read the parable of the ten virgins. That's what they're waiting for. They're waiting for the bride to come back because the, the, the groom is away. He's building this house. They're already engaged, but they're waiting for the groom to come back. And they're, they're, I guess there was ten of them that are, have been building houses somewhere, and they're, waiting, they're all waiting for their groom to come back and call, tell them it's time. So culturally, uh, betrothal was a very big deal to their entire family. It, had, it was not just the, will you marry me, the end. No, there was a whole big thing they had to go through. So sometime during this 18-, 24-month betrothal period while Joseph was building a new home, Mary had a visitation from the Lord, or specifically Gabriel. Okay, this was a pretty big deal, changing things up a lot, wasn't it? We'll look at this in Luke 1, 26-38. 
And on the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to, be, to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you, blessed are you among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest, the Lord God, and will give and will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be will be no end. There will be no end. Verse thirty four. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Imagine hearing that. I mean, you're Mary. You imagine hearing that? Say what? Wow, the Son of God? Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, is her cousin, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That's one of the most um, powerful statements in the scripture of a, that a human made, I, I think. That she had to think about this. Okay, wait a minute. I'm going to get pregnant. I'm betrothed to Joseph. Uh, we haven't had relations yet. I haven't had relations with anybody else yet. And now you're telling me I'm going to become supernaturally pregnant. And the, the stigma of that, that what that would do for her in society and culture, her family, everyone else, what she just signed up for and said, let it be done to me according to your word, is one of the most amazing things that it's in the Bible that a human spoke, when you think about that. So Mary had this amazing encounter with the angel Gabriel. Amazing. Imagine that would be just... Wow. And she finds out that her as a virgin is going to have this a child. And not just a child, the son of God. All those prophecies that she probably knows some of them anyway, those four or five hundred prophecies, she probably knew a few of them. I'm that, uh, the virgin's going to be with child. That's me. I'm the mother. Like that would be intimidating. That would be like, who am I? That would be like, what if I mess this up? I mean, she'd have to have all those feelings that you would have today. So uh, she'd have to we don't know how the conversations went after she found out, um, but this had to sh- put some fear in her of like, okay, how am I going to tell Joseph? How am I going to tell my parents? How am I going to tell my siblings? Are they going to believe this? They didn't have the dream that I had. They didn't have this visitation that I had. How am I going to go tell my mother and father that I'm pregnant and that, guess what, God made me pregnant? They'd be like, okay, we're going to lock you up in a loony bin or something. Like, that just doesn't happen. But... We don't know what she did or how the conversations went, but we do know the next verse says that she traveled uh, to Judah, which is about from Nazareth to Judah, which is about 100 miles away, to go see her cousin Elizabeth, which is John the Baptist's mother, and she stayed there with, him, with them for three months. Now, it sounds like this happened immediately. It may have. There may have been a delay in there, but we don't know still three months later if she told her mother and father, her siblings, or Joseph. We don't know just as they went to go see Elizabeth. So why did she do that? Um, why did she leave? It seems like from reading it that happened right then. Maybe there was some delay there. Maybe she did tell them. We don't know. But why did she go? Um, maybe she decided to keep it a secret. 
you know, uh, and maybe she thought it through, like, I'm not going to say this just yet. You know, eventually, you, you only keep a pregnancy, the, the secret of a pregnancy so long, right? Eventually, there's going to be start to be a bump and then a bigger bump. I mean, you only have so many months till the baby's showing. So maybe she decided to keep it secret. Maybe she decided uh, not to tell them. We don't know. Or maybe she just started to doubt, like, what if this visitation I had was just my imagination? Maybe what if I had some bad pizza last night? What if this is not real? So I'm just speculating. It doesn't say, but there's a lot. Like I said, there's a lot that it does say in the Bible. There's a lot it doesn't say. Why did she go? Like, she's pregnant now. Why didn't she just stay there with her family? So I think maybe she started to doubt if she heard God right. So I was like, well, let's go see. I'll go see Elizabeth. If she's pregnant in her sixth month, I'll know for sure, man, I heard God correctly. So she goes to see her 100 miles this journey. And as soon as, you know, the story, as soon as he sees her, gives us a greeting, John the Baptist leaped in her belly, and then she starts giving this prophecy that what you carry is of God, it's the, it's the Son of God, the Messiah. They just had this amazing time together. So she stayed there with her cousin, Elizabeth, for three months. So now she's three months pregnant, okay? Again, we don't know who knows, who doesn't know. I mean, most likely Joseph doesn't know because he doesn't live in Nazareth. Joseph was from Bethlehem. We sang about this morning, he was born... Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but that's where his family was from. Remember when, the, when Caesar uh, issued the decree that they had to come and register their family members, they had to go to their hometown to register, they had to go to Bethlehem. Why? Because that's where he was from. He's from the lineage of David. He had to go there. So she was from Nazareth, but he was from Bethlehem. So she didn't have text messaging, didn't have email. Hey, psst, by the way, guess what? I'm pregnant. Say what? How? Who? What? What? Okay, he knew he wasn't the dad. I mean, put, it, put yourself in, that was you today, okay? Because this is a real story. I know they leave a lot of them messed out, but people are the same today as they were back then. She had to, she sometime had to tell him that I'm pregnant. And just, just imagine the look on his face of hurt, of pain, of the disloyalty, the backstabbing, the lack of trust. Like, how could you do this to me? I'm building a house for us. We're already betrothed. You promised yourself to me. How could you do, how could you do this? What, what was wrong with you? And uh, I'm just imagining, because that's probably what I would say or what I'd feel. But uh, Joseph and Mary had some really difficult times. Joseph didn't have this dream yet, this confirmation that what she was saying was true. So I want to show you what, when this did happen for him. Let's see. Luke 2, 2 through 5. <laughs> It says, and it came to pass in those days there was a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be, de- should be registered. The census took place while Quirinius was uh, governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So Joseph and his family were, from, again, from Bethlehem, but she was from Nazareth. But sometime during that six-month time frame from when she came back from her cousins, sometime in that six-month time frame, Joseph started living in Nazareth. Well, what happened there? It doesn't say. He, he was from Bethlehem, but now it says he, remember, he had to travel with her from Nazareth to Bethlehem. So again, this is going to be some speculation, but um, it's my imagination, and you don't know either, so... Um, but I'm just saying it appears that something happened during that six-month period after that we don't know about. And uh, Joseph is, traditionally, he's at his home. He's building this house. He's making things ready. 
And all of a sudden, somewhere during that six-month period, he finds out. Either she went there on her way back home and told him, or she found out, or he found out through the grapevine. Guess what? Your, your betrothed wife, Mary, I saw her over at her cousin's place, and she looks like she's getting a little bump in the, in the belly. I think she's got a bun in the oven or whatever you could say. <laughs> There's something going on there. No, no, she would never do that. We're betrothed. She loves me. I love her. That would never happen. I'm just saying, I saw her. We don't, because we don't know if she, they heard it or she told, I think she probably told him. I don't know, but they both seem to be people of character. But either way, after she told him, it looks like she went back to Nazareth. He's still there building the house, talking to his family. Now he's going to tell his parents. Imagine how that would go. You're telling your parents that your betrothed wife that you're building this house for is now pregnant and you're not the dad. Okay, that's going to go well. So again, remember, Joseph still had in his mind he's going to divorce her because of these things. So I, again, I'm just imagining this conversation. I'm telling my family this and my brother this and other siblings this and like, okay, whatever. Like, uh, like dude, what is wrong with you? I mean... Your, your girlfriend, your fiance, whatever, she, she's whatever. And, and, and you know, some of the less sanctified family members might have used some colorful language when talking about your girlfriend, fiance, whatever. This was a big thing. This is messy. This had a major impact on Joseph's life, his reputation, the family line, their lineage, and the, the, the Mary's family. This would have been a huge cultural thing that everyone would have been talking about at the local barbershop or beauty salon, everywhere else of the day. They would have been talking about them like, Psst, did you hear about this? Oh, my gosh. Okay? And then she has the audacity to say that the Holy Spirit made her pregnant. There's something wrong with that lady. I'm just telling you what. Are you here? Because guess what? You would have said some of those things, too. You can act all spiritual day. You've read the end of the book. If you, you were in the story and you knew her, you knew her parents, you knew the whole thing, we all would have been guilty of saying something sarcastically rude about the situation because we just don't know what God was doing here. Right? So you tell your parents, hey, mom and dad, guess what? I got some bad news to tell you. You know Mary? Yeah, we know Mary. She's a beautiful young girl. Love her. She's sweet. Well, guess what? She's pregnant. Son, I'm going to kill you. You know that's not right. This is not culture acceptable. Yeah, yeah, you got, you got betrothed, but you can't do that. You're supposed to wait till after the ceremony for that. Dad, I didn't do anything. It wasn't me. What? I'm going to kill that girl, that tramp, that whatever. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna. to. Right? That's the message of the Bible, but you know that's the real thing. Any father or mother that loved their son or father or mother loved their daughter, they're going to say some stuff. And maybe probably wasn't all holy and sanctified. We got the divine edited version here, don't we? <laughs> right? All right. So they're ticked off. They're saying things maybe they, they regret, but it's complicated, and it's messy, and there's pain involved here on both sides. So, again, Joseph has this in his mind. He's going to Nazareth. He's going to talk to her, but he's leaving her. He's not going to marry her. And, uh, but before he could do this, he had this visitation, this dream also. Verse 20. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So he's asleep, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for what that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure this dream had to bring great comfort to his heart. Like, oh, my gosh, she wasn't lying. Oh, man. Thinking it through, like, the Holy Spirit made her pregnant. That means she didn't cheat on me. All right, like, I mean, all these things, you'd have to process these things in your head, and it'd just be this big, 
relief for him. But as he's processing his dream, we have like, was that a real dream? Was that a pizza dream? Was that a, is that figurative? Is this a literal dream? Those are taking the dream interpretation class. I mean, he had to have some kind of powerful encounter with Gabriel in, in that dream for him to actually go through with this. Because what he's about to go through with would cost him everything. His family wasn't going to believe this. His friends, his siblings weren't going to believe this. You must be crazy. You're still going to marry that girl? What is wrong with you? There's no way God made her pregnant. He doesn't do that. Are you nuts? Why could you do that? And eventually, his, I, I think, again, speculation, but I think uh, Joseph's parents said, listen, if you're going to go through with this, you are not a part of this family anymore. You are not built, finishing this house. You are not building on our property. Well, you are not doing this. And the reason why I think that is because he ended up moving to Nazareth. And in, traditionally, she should have been moving to his place. All right, we'll look at some more of this as we go through. But um, I can just imagine they said some, some things that were not too great that day. So Matthew 1, 24 and 25 says, Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and called him Jesus. So, again, traditionally, Joseph would have been in Bethlehem, Mary in Nazareth. But here it says they were together in Nazareth. These two, again, sorry, these two verses didn't happen instantly. This would have happened over the course of that six-month period. Somehow in that six-month window, these verses happened, that, they were, uh, that the angel commanded him to take his wife. So, Joseph uh, knows he can't live there anymore. He has to travel now 93 miles from Bethlehem where he lived, to Nazareth, to live with her, hopefully. And he's on this long journey walking like, well, I hope her parents take this better than mine, because if they didn't, they're going to kill me when I get there, because they're going to think I did this. And he has to be thinking, where am I going to live? Uh, my parents kicked me out. Where are we going to live together? Um, where, what, what am I going to do for a job? How am I going to provide for my family? All the things he thought he had all prepared in this betrothal, everything's now different. Everything's changed. So this is a big deal for him. Now we know job-wise he was known as a carpenter. Matthew 13, uh, 55 says, talking with Jesus, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? So the, but the word carpenter here can also mean any kind of craftsman, like a stone worker, a metal worker, or woodworker. It can be any of those three. And and historically, it's known in Nazareth, they had a stone quarry there where people worked. And if you watch the, the show, The Chosen, anyone seen The Chosen? They showed Joseph working at one of these stone quarries in Nazareth because it was historically known it was there. So that could have been his job. But anyway, on this long journey to Nazareth, he's got 93 miles to walk or on a donkey or something. I imagine Joseph had to think, boy, I hope their family believe her more than mine did. Because if not, as soon as I get there, that dad might want to kill me. He might want to stone me, all right? So I'm, I'm just trying to show you in this the pain and the messiness of the Christmas story that somebody else went through uh, so we could enjoy the benefits of the Messiah today. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. So now on this timeline, um, Caesar issued, Joseph eventually arrives to Nazareth, and then the, sometime after that, Caesar makes this announcement that he has to go back to Bethlehem to do this, to, to sign up for register for their census. And uh, I don't know how long there was in between where he just left his family and went back and now has to go back home. 
But I can't picture him being very excited about this journey. One, it's 93 miles. But two, it seems like his parents have disowned him. It seemed like they're still upset. Now he has to walk back, the whole way back, and this time he has to take his betrothed wife with him. Imagine that scene. Oh, man, we, we, I don't know. When dad sees her, when mom sees her, whatever, and this is, this is complicated. It's messy. So let's go on to Luke 2, 4 and 5. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So verse 5 gives us a little hint of what's going on here, too. It still calls them betrothed. They were in Nazareth together. They still haven't had their official ceremony yet. One, because uh, maybe nobody would come. Or they didn't have a place to live. Or didn't have whatever. For some reason, they still didn't have this betrothal. And here they were, baby Jesus about to be born any time now. And they're still not, like, culturally, they're still not even married yet. Talk about the shame they would feel the ridicule, the, the dirty looks, and the scoffing, and even Joseph now, because he, he knew better, but he did it anyway, right? At least in their minds. Six, verses 6 and 7. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. Uh, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, readers today often read that, and they think there must have been this medieval or like a today Holiday Inn, we call the first ever Holiday Inn <laughs> a place they wanted to come check in, and it was just so full because the travelers, there was no room for them to stay. And that's what you read that, you can think that, but there's actually two words for the word inn in the Bible, and after you hear this, you might have a different conclusion of what the word inn there means. The first word is the word katamula, katamula, whatever, <laughs> appears three times in the New Testament and is, in this, is the word used in this Christmas story. And most English Bibles translate this, the word in, and implies that, of course, this is some kind of establishment, some kind of business that uh, you pay money to stay at. So, but the reading of this text this way is problematic for several reasons, because first, first Middle uh, Eastern uh, hospitality would not allow for a pregnant woman to give birth by herself. No one in that culture would have allowed that to happen. Okay. Secondly, Bethlehem was Joseph's hometown. He would have had family everywhere living uh, there living, so... Um, this wouldn't be like they wouldn't need to go to the Holiday Inn when they could go to the families, aunt, uncles, cousins, and even Elizabeth only nine miles away from there. So something else is going on in this text because if he had family around and their culture was you're not going to ever let a pregnant woman have a baby by themselves, what happened there? Let me show you. There's a the word for inn there can also be translated guest room. Okay, guest room is the same word that Jesus used when he sent his disciples to go prepare for the Last Supper. He said, go prepare in the guest room for the, for the Lord's Supper, the Passover meal. Now, the second word in the New Testament is pandoheum, and this is the word for in also, but this one's used in the Good Samaritan story after the Good Samaritan uh, saw this guy beaten up, and his Good Samaritan comes over, takes him on his donkey, puts him in an inn. He pays for him to stay there, uh, he, and then he gives the guy money. I'll give you more, and I come back if you need more. This one sounds like it's more like an end than the other one. So this is a complicated, messy, but beautiful story. But it's quite possible that Mary and Joseph travel back to Bethlehem, his hometown. They show up at the door of his, his parents' house, his family's house, and said, we're here. We need a place to stay. And he said, there's no room at this inn. 
There's no room in this guest house. There's no room. You're going to have to go find somewhere else. We don't know you. Kind of disown them like some of the um, Mennonites do and the Amish do sometimes with their family when they have issues like this come up. The pain is shunned, exactly. So no room at the end might not be they didn't plan ahead enough to check in at the hotel on the Internet and book their tickets for their rooms. It might be they showed up at their father's house, mother's house, looked their parents right in the face, and they're like, depart from me, we don't know you. You're not staying here. You brought too much shame on this family. So after this, uh, so they, you know, they, they have the baby Jesus. Of course, they're, they're celebrated by angels. They're celebrated by the, and all these, the, when the shepherds came and things. But a short time later, uh, Joseph has this dream, and now they have to move. They got to leave their hometown of Nazareth, and they have to move out of the country. They have to move to Egypt, Egypt of all places. Egypt is not a very popular place to, to Jews, right? They had a lot of big history there with slavery. They probably didn't really want to go back there, but that's where the angel of the Lord told them to go to. Now you have to leave and go there. So Joseph lost his family. Mary now is leaving the hometown of her family, going to another country where had no friends or family to help raise a new baby, which if you guys have all had babies, know how hard that is. Um, now she had to raise the two, the two of them raised the baby on their own. This is a messy story. It's a messy story. It was very painful for Joseph, very painful for Mary, and very painful for the surrounding people in Bethlehem because in Bethlehem after that, after the wise men came and talked to King Herod, they told him we're looking for the king. Then he, then they leave a different way. Then they, he goes back and kills every male child from zero to two years old in all of Bethlehem and the surrounding districts, it says, and kills them all because in case they were the Messiah. So now it isn't just Joseph and Mary that are having this painful experience now. Now every, every family in Bethlehem in the surrounding area would have been touched by either a relative or someone that, that had a baby killed because they were trying to kill the Messiah. It's a messy story. It's a painful story. And I'm hoping that uh, as we go through Christmas, it can help us remember those that have been less fortunate or have have lost loved ones or something in this time, and even those that have, they can relate that, you know what, Jesus and these people, they've gone through something like this too. In Matthew 2, it says this, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamenting, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refused to be comforted because they were no more. And it's a messy story, but it's part of the Christmas story. And uh, I love the nativity. I love the trees and the presents and stuff. But the actual story was quite painful for everyone involved. And you know why? Because the devil didn't want you to have an encounter with Jesus. But thankfully, these faithful people went through and like Mary said, let it be done to me according to your word. So I want to finish with this. And Luke 1, it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to be to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. So while she's in Egypt now, all these people have died and all this stuff's going on, disowned by family members and friends, she had to be thinking about that, that greeting she had. What is this? Highly favored one. Highly favored what? This doesn't feel like highly favored to me. And it's funny because I was working on this sermon. Then a couple days ago, I saw 
I think Anna shared this post and Debbie shared it. A few others shared a, a picture of Mary and had this some different things on there. I'm going to read it to you, what it said, because it went, went right along with this message. But it says, uh, she was highly favored, but was almost put away by the man she loved most. Highly favored, but she was rejected by every person in Bethlehem. Highly favored, but she laid on the dirt floor of the barn and gave birth to a baby she carried nine months. Highly favored, but in the middle of the night, she had to leave all she knew and move to a strange town because God said so. Favor never looks like favor at first. Favor sometimes takes you through frustration, failure, and fear. You want to be favored by God? It may be in darkness, darkest night or deepest valley, but there, there in that place where no one sees you and you feel like no one understands, whisper to yourself, this is only the beginning, not the end. This will turn out for my good and his glory. This is because I am favored. We are favored by God and by, and by man because of Jesus. But even then, there's times we're going to go through some things that don't feel good. And they are difficult or they're challenging. But even in those moments, you can thank God in the, in the very moment. Thank you, God. I have favor with God and with man. And you work this out for my good. And if you look back on Jesus' life and Mary and Joseph's life, I think they could say that, that God turned it out and worked it around for good. Even though they still had pain and suffering, but they, they also had a lot of joyful moments together and a lot of, uh, a lot of great things too. Amen. Amen. Well, I uh, hope I wasn't Debbie Downer. Uh, we said that once, uh, in, uh, I think Lauren said that once in front of Debbie, and it was really funny. I'm like, you can't say that in front of Debbie, <laughs> Debbie Downer. <laughs> but uh, Christmas is a wonderful story, but it is filled with a lot of really hard, difficult things. And sometimes we miss it because we don't know the culture, don't know some of the background. So uh, this morning we're going to conclude by taking the Lord's Supper together. And I just want you to remember all that he suffered so you could have real life. Not an okay life, but abundant life. That a life that he's living in you all the time.